welcome to New Planet, a podcast where we inform and enable a sustainable lifestyle. Hey Aiden, how's it going man? I'm good Xander, welcome back to the United States. Thank you. Feels feels good. Sometimes. <laughs> Xander was in Japan. Just Japan? I was in Korea as well. My sister was studying abroad, so went and nice. picked her up, explored Seoul, and then we went to Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, and Hokane, which is a national park outside of Tokyo. Very cool awesome. to see the different cities. Japan yeah, is a... Uh, a very beautiful place. The food is delicious. The culture is very interesting. I think uh, America has a, a lot to learn from the Japanese culture. But that's a whole new episode. What's this? Yeah, What's the I topic of this it. episode? Uh, today we're talking about a pretty large topic of animal agriculture. I think we'll have more episodes about topics that we will be briefly uh, going over in this episode. But We'll try to fit it, fit all of this information into one for now, but it's a it's a task that's for sure. But yeah, animal agriculture and the effects of that, and what we can do to I don't know lessen our impact through animal agriculture. Cool, I'm excited, but you know we gotta we gotta start with our quote. So the quote oh, yeah. for this week's episode is by Robert Swan. He is an author and the first person to walk on both poles. And the quote is, the greatest threat to our planet is the belief that someone else will save it. That's a good one. Yeah, I really like it. So check out our Instagram post where we kind of dive deeper into why we chose this quote and what it means to us. And we hope to hear your opinions about it. But other than that, let's get into some statistics on animal agriculture. Oh, yeah. So this is going to be a pretty statistic heavy episode just because it's the easiest way to really understand the impact of animal agriculture it's statistics because there's a lot of numbers and you know stats about what countries are producing what and who's consuming what so uh we'll divide the episode into three little sections hopefully um it goes as planned uh the first one is how or where does the world get population get its meat from and then how is the global meat supply produced what are the implications you know environmental impact of this process and then lastly what do we need to do to make meat production more sustainable or is there even a future for meat production uh, if we want to live sustainably so me and Xander will have more of a discussion and less maybe statistics in that section cool. so uh, I'm yeah, excited let's, man let's get yeah, into let's it do it all right so let's start with where do we get our meat from? And so we can talk about this in sort of like a uh, historical view as well, where we can look at statistics from the past when statistics about meat were first created and really gathered into one database. And so that started in 1961. Um, And around then, there were around 70 million tons of meat produced throughout the world. And over the decades from 61 until now, uh, meat production has changed and grown four or five fold. And so now there's uh, over 300 million tons of meat produced in the world, uh, with most of that coming from Asia and China specifically. 
I mean, that makes sense. Asia has the, the largest population on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this graph that we are looking at for meat production really shows a big spike after 1990 when the when China really started to industrialize and develop a middle class and more people got wealthy and started consuming meat and enjoying the the leisure of a different lifestyle. So that's interesting to see the correlation between uh, GDP and meat consumption. Yeah. And I apologize for any uh, unintentional noises on this episode because I recently acquired a kitten and she's a little uh, hellraiser. So sorry about that. Um, anyways, and yeah, a lot of that uh, meat production is pork as well. Um, pork production in China was really the the reason for this huge spike. Um, they're the world's largest consumer of pork, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, and it's interesting when Xander was speaking on population. Also reminded me that um, you compare like meat production in the world over those that same time to. Uh, world population growth and the world population like barely doubled throughout that time whereas uh, meat production you know quadrupled and almost what is the word is it quintupled it quintupled almost that's five times right yeah um so clearly we're consuming more meat than than we were before because we have more meat production and not as not an equal population growth so um, mm. and that's the fact meat production or sorry, meat consumption has in fact, um, increased throughout that period as well. And so, yes, that peak in Asia, the largest change has occurred in Asia. Um, in 61, when the stats, uh, were first compiled, I guess they only produced 12% of the global share of meat, but they now produce 40 to 45. So <laughs> that region has a 15 fold increase in meat production, which is pretty wild. Wow. Yeah. Damn. And it's like when you think about the the just the correlation with industrialization, it makes sense that that kind of increase in meat consumption and production would occur. But it's it's so drastic. I didn't think that it would be such a large increase. Yeah. And I guess now we can kind of quantify how many animals. This is, I think, maybe a a good way to understand how many animals we are actually killing because um you get this like these the numbers in tons and how many tons of meat but that doesn't really provide you with any kind of information of how many chickens or how many cows that is well and i think if the the listener wants to kind of go along with us while we talk about these statistics the website that we are getting these graphs and data from is ourworldanddata.org slash meat and seafood production consumption so yes. check out those graphs along with us. It's it's really interesting just to see the the change and the growth. And they're really pretty, so highly recommended to check out the website while you're listening. Anyways, For sure. Let's continue. Yeah. Um so numbers of animals that we kill each year. Um I was <laughs> this one graph when I first looked at it, I thought it was just one line that talked about or that represented um, how many animals we killed each year in general. But uh, if you do actually go and look at this graph, you'll realize that there's one line that continues to grow 
up <laughs> very high. And then way <laughs> down below, you'll see a bunch of other lines. And the one that's growing up, uh, that's growing really high, uh, continuously reaching a number of 62 billion, is the number of chickens that we kill each year. Um, so at the most recent data point on this graph, which is 2014, we killed 62 billion chickens that year. Wow. That, I mean, that's five years ago. I can only imagine how much higher it is now. Yeah, because everything is growing still. Um, and so 62 billion chickens. And then the next uh, the next highest amount of animals that we uh, kill are pigs, which are 1.47 billion. Uh, cattle and beef, you know, that's down at 300 million. But I guess that makes sense because you don't need as many cows to produce the same amount of meat. Um but it's just you can't even grasp how many animals are killed. Like 62 billion. That is many times more than the world population. And that's and this is the amount of chickens each year. It's not only just like a total. Every year we kill about that many or more now. Um, wow, I can even visualize how big 62 billion really is. Oh, even oh, in chickens. Yes. Thank you for reminding me, because I did the calculation, and I wanted to visualize <laughs> um, how many chickens that was. Um, if you lined up all of those chickens, and I looked up what the average length of a chicken was, kind of... <laughs> so this is tail to head, not side to side? I believe so, and I kind of <laughs> took the higher estimate, because I figured that a lot of the chickens that we do kill are pumped up on like hormones and stuff, so they're oversized, they're unnaturally sized. And so, if you lined up all 62 billion of those chickens, they would reach the moon and back 37 times. But That's so, <laughs> it's a lot of Apollo missions, man. Yep, there's a lot of chickens, so, you know, why don't we just make a chicken ladder to the, to the <laughs> moon? <laughs> that sounds way more efficient than these whole rockets. <laughs> totally. Um, anyways, full of good ideas here. Um and then, you know, God, we can go on all day about stats. I mean, we have livestock counts here, too. We have 21 billion more chickens that are alive at any given time during the year, plus 1.5 billion cattle, another billion pigs. Over 200 million of those cattle are in Brazil because they're the largest exporter of beef at the moment. So, ridiculous amount of statistics. Like, oh, Speaking of, of Brazil, uh, like the because they produce so much beef they're deforesting the amazon rainforest yeah and so as you guys have probably heard recently the amazon is being burned to produce more uh graze graze land yeah grazing lands or pasture lands i guess yeah 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 so the amazon is being burned to produce more pasture land and we're we're almost reaching a critical point where too much of the rainforest is being burned where we're like we're going to talk more about just the destruction of our ecosystem and how that is causing problems with like i mean one in every four breaths that we breathe comes from the amazon rainforest so it being burned for livestock production is not great so just be aware of where your meat is coming from if you want to eat beef and really divest from consuming Brazilian beef because the Amazon rainforest is essentially the lungs of the planet and we really need to take care of it 
and it's hard being over here in America or in Europe or wherever you're listening if you're not in Brazil to have a direct impact. So just divest from Brazilian beef, please, because we need that rainforest and the biodiversity and all the amazing things that the the rainforest does for our planet. And we did talk about it in a couple episodes ago about the, the value in trillions of dollars that the rainforest has. And it's not really... It's hard to quantify it because we don't really use those resources, but they're just sitting in the ground. They don't really have economic value, but they have this value to our global society because we're so dependent on the rainforest for oxygen production. So just something to be aware of and uh, makes me really sad to see what's happening right now in the news, especially when it comes to the Amazon. So, yeah, Yeah, that's a rough one to see for sure. Um and yeah well i guess we should move on from these statistics because it's taking a lot of time um let's move on to how this meat is produced and this is complete this is definitely related to what xander just talked about because we need physical space to produce meat because animals depending on which ones uh need to graze and even if they don't we need areas for uh producing food for these animals and just for factories, if you're factory farming. Um, and so, I mean, here's some more statistics. You know, like I said, it's going to be a statistic-heavy episode. Um, and we'll talk about the U.S. specifically here because there's a lot of good data about it. Um, so in the U.S., more than one-third of U.S. land is actually used for pasture and grazing. You know, all of that country in the middle that you don't really hear that much about normally, <laughs> it's a lot of pasture and grazing uh, land in that area, um, 654 million acres to be exact, um, and 41% of the land in the contiguous uh, U.S. revolves around livestock, and that means that there's another 127.4 uh, million acres that are used for growing crops, but these crops are exclusively fed to the animals that we also raise in the U.S., so, we use a lot of land uh, for for raising animals and for animal agriculture. In fact, we use more land for growing crops specifically for these animals than we do for growing crops for ourselves. What? Um, yeah, 77.3 million uh, acres are used for growing crops that we feed ourselves with, whereas, like I just mentioned, there's 127 million that are used for growing crops for animal feed. Wow, so a little less than double the land to feed animals yeah. than to feed ourselves. That's that's pretty crazy to think about. Yeah, and it's, it really begs the question of, like, why we have a significant portion of the U.S. that still has, like, that have people going hungry, like a significant population of our country still goes hungry. Yet we grow more food for the animals than we grow for ourselves. And I don't think it's honestly a, maybe that's like a false flag. It might not be a a problem related to like food production. I'm sure we produce enough food for ourselves and we import enough. Totally. It's probably more of a distribution problem. So maybe, maybe I'm picking the wrong fight here. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, just, just some food for thought. Yeah. Ha, huh. good one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, 
All right. Yeah. And then there's the these inefficiencies too that come with meat production related to land as well. So beef has been notoriously known as one of the worst and least efficient meats that we produce. Um, and that can be seen in a lot of statistics. And this is a good one that we're at it <laughs> in this uh, page, this Our World in Data page, um, where they have all these infographics. They have uh, charts that show the efficiency data related to different meats, and one of them is the land needed to produce one gram of protein of a certain type of food. And for beef, it's like very obviously the worst. You need a square meter of land for one gram of protein. The next one is pork, which is almost a tenth more efficient. You need 0.13 meters, uh, square meters uh, per one gram of protein. So yeah, a lot of land and a lot of space for grazing and pastures. Um, and then that brings up the question of, you know, where, how do we create all these, these areas? How do we create this land and these grazing lands, these pasture lands? Well, it depends. I mean, there's certain places that are already grasslands that can be used for for pasture for pasture land that won't actually have like too bad of an impact on that natural ecosystem compared to other places like the Amazon where you need to physically destroy the current environment and just completely de read like re what's the word I'm looking for just like reface the that area completely yeah you essentially burn down the rainforest throw on some some grass seed bring in the cattle don't buy brazilian beef <laughs> yeah and um cattle ranching uh accounts for 80 percent of the current amazon deforestation um and the deforestation releases 340 million tons of co2 every year um and then it causes like other other than just carbon emissions it creates other problems like fires and erosion loss of biodiversity so <sighs> cattle ranching i think is inherently bad but it can be much worse in certain places like the amazon there are places like in the midwest that are pastures naturally they are grasslands right. it wouldn't be the worst thing to have pastures there and have cattle grazing but it's places like the Amazon or other rainforests around the world that are getting destroyed specifically for agriculture. That's the problem. So that's one inefficiency, land use, land destruction. But there's others, and this is more related to maybe like nutrition here. Beef, again, being the least efficient of all meats, uh, requires 25 kilograms of feed for one kilogram of, of beef. Um it's recycled protein, essentially. You know, you're getting it gets its protein from plants. Twenty five kilograms for one kilogram of resulting beef. Pork, six point four kilograms of feed for one kilogram of its meat. Um, I guess there's a silver lining if you eat chicken. It's one of the more efficient meats when it comes to like water consumption, feed consumption, land use, because um, they only need three point three kilograms for one kilogram of chicken. Um, and then you get to protein efficiency, um, and this means like what percent of protein from the feed was effectively converted into animal product, while the rest is lost in conversion. 
Um, once again, guess who's the worst? It's beef. Um, <laughs> you get 3.8% of the protein from the feed that was inputted into that animal, and essentially 96% of the protein is lost in conversion. Um, poultry isn't so bad. It's 19.6% of the protein you get, and then you lose the, the rest, so 80%. In fact, eggs are, I think, the best. You get 25% of the protein that you put in, um, and 75% gets lost. Same with energy. This, so this is calories. What percentage of the calories from the feed gets converted to animal product and the rest is lost? <laughs> For beef, it's 1.9%. Poultry, it's 13%. So I think... You can do yourself a favor and just eat less beef and eat more chicken if you want to be more efficient or more environmentally friendly, maybe to a minimal degree. Right. And pork is 8.6, so just be aware of what kind of meat you're eating. And it's, I don't know, it's all, my philosophy is on awareness and minimization. So if you want to eat beef, go ahead, but. Don't eat it every day. That's not super efficient or sustainable. Yeah. So just be aware of the data and the impact that you have as an individual. So um, what, what, what do we do to make this like a more sustainable practice? Or does sustainability and meat production just not go together? I think that's a discussion that needs to be had for sure. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah let's talk about that um i mean i think that if like if meat is going to continue being a major food source for humans which all signs point to that i don't see any change happening really in the near future um something needs to be done at the very least about like how it's produced and that means like paying attention very like specifically to land use and determining like what the best practice is for certain locations like Clearly, the best practice in the Amazon is not not cattle ranching. Right. There are better places to do that, like the Midwest in the U.S. or like probably places in Europe where there are open fields where um, having cows uh, in pasture lands and grazing is maybe not even harmful to their to their environment at all. Um, yeah, I think something to kind of think about is the more traditional method of farming and how it it was kind of this balance with the ecosystem or the environment that the farmer is in because cows play an essential role to um, soil fertility. They produce poop, which is fertilizer Mm -hmm. for plants. And you have other animals that, you know, eat pests for the plants. And, you know, it's kind of this whole ecosystem so there is an essential role that livestock play in production of food and i think that's something to think about but it's it really comes down to being in balance with the ecosystem around us yeah i agree so besides farming in balance with nature and being aware of the environment that you're in when you want to farm some other ways that we can Uh, get meat in a more sustainable way is through lab-grown meat. So 
yeah, I was, I think that's, I'm not like a super like tech entrepreneur kind of person that thinks that like technology is going to solve everything. Um, but I think that this is one way that technology can help like a significant amount because I think lab grown meat has huge potential for solving the meat problem that we have. Um, I honestly think that the only thing that holds it back is like people's, um, like own opinions or like tastes. I think it's perception because the thing about this lab grown meat is the protein, the molecules are the same. Yeah. So it's literally like when I was reading about lab grown meat, it was the main things that people were saying, oh, why it might not work was because, oh, it's like the texture is not good or it tastes too dry or something like that. And I guess maybe just from my perspective, since I've already like given up meat and things and I eat some meat alternatives, like I don't really care about that stuff. Like to me, I would much rather eat lab grown meat and save, like, save animals, save water, save like prevent greenhouse gas emissions and like sacrifice a little bit of my taste, like for, for the greater good in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, if you haven't tried an Impossible Burger or a Beyond Beef Burger, those those two companies that are trying to produce like the perfect patty in a sustainable way, just just try one. And I I think they taste pretty good. And I think it's really it just like having me. an an open mind, you know, like you Yeah. you can't go into it thinking like it's going to be the best thing you've ever had. Um but lab-grown meat is probably, it gets meat. You know, like Xander said, it's literally, you take a tissue sample from an animal and you create meat that is, it, it's meat. It just didn't grow on an actual animal. Right. And the, if we produce meat in a lab, we can uh, reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 96%. We would use essentially 99% less land because you just need a couple labs and you can go vertical. You know, you don't have to have all this massive amount of space for grazing. And that would also cause a large reduction in water consumption by 96%-ish. Yeah, it is. I think it's the way of the future if we're going to still keep eating meat, in my opinion. Yeah, Um, well, I think uh, another good alternative is insect protein. I know the idea is kind of gross, but I don't, so when I studied abroad uh, in the Netherlands, there was a like a little event where a couple different vendors were in the common area of the university, and there are these little like protein bars, and they had little samples, and they were just essentially ground up insects with some like seasoning or whatever, and it it honestly didn't taste bad you just kind of have to get over the idea that it's going to it's insects but it's just kind of crunchy (laughs) salty deliciousness you know it just tastes like a chip i don't know and it has all the proteins and it's way more sustainable than other alternatives so i think insects could be a way of the future too especially the way that it's produced like i'm not talking about just taking a fly and throwing that in down the hatch you know like (laughs) grind it up add some seasoning like roast it i don't know like there are many different ways of making something not taste 
the way it is, you know, put some ketchup on it, whatever you gotta do. There, yeah, there are ways have, to have a little omelet and just, there'll be some crickets in there. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, those are the, yeah, those are all alternatives right there. And I think all of them are valid to a certain degree. Um, but <laughs> I mean, the best way to reduce our meat consumption is to not eat as much meat. Mm-hmm. Um, that is our action, our suggested action for you, the listener. If you really want to make the biggest impact, it's to eat less meat and replace right. it replace it with with other types of food. You got tofu, you got beans, you got grains, you got beans. Sorry, I just really love beans. All types. <laughs> Coffee, black, pinto, garbanzo, green. Big bean guy over here. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> Check them out. They're delicious. Eat them up. <laughs> um, yeah, there are all, there are alternatives. I can yeah, definitely. That because I eat them and I am alive. Yeah, me too. <laughs> hey, what's up? And we're not saying like never eat meat ever again. That would be the best solution, but I don't know. I'll say it again. Just comes down to awareness and minimization. Just eat meat six days a week, five days a week, and then it gets to the point where it's a treat, and then you kind of get to the point where you don't really crave it anymore. Yeah. No, it's 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 exactly that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't suggest that everybody just stop cold turkey like immediately. That's not easy to do. You know, like like Xander said, you can start with like eating it, like have a meatless Monday or something, um, and not only reduce it, but like think of which types of meats you're eating, where you're getting your meat from. If you if you live near like a local farm, like consider getting it from them if they like sustainably raise their their um, livestock that's great. It's better than buying from a factory farm or importing your meat from outside the country. Like all that does is increase your carbon footprint and increase demand for foreign meat that um, Mm -hmm. is going to be much, have a much larger environmental impact than like a local meat. Right. Exactly. Like I've gone to the store and seen beef from Australia in, in Washington. That's, that's crazy because Australia is so crazy far away and yet there is meat or beef from Australia in the grocery store. So just look at the packaging if you want to eat beef, but just just be mindful. And we hope this data really allowed you to be more informed about the impact that your food consumption has on the environment. But I don't know about you, Aiden, this episode's pretty made me pretty hungry. Yeah, I'm going to go eat some tofu. Mmm, beans <laughs> for me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our show on animal agriculture. We hope you enjoyed it. Check out our Instagram at newplanet, and feel free to send us an email at newplanetpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. As always, I'm Aiden Hirsch. And I'm Xander Kipp. See you next time.